You'd only be in a room with me for long to learn that I am that Undertale fan. I will rant and rave about the game to literally anyone who will listen and... Honestly, most people who don't. After dropping Deltarune Chapter 1 out of nowhere back in 2018, game dev Toby Fox did it again with Deltarune Chapter 2 on September 15th of this year. In some ways, this entry into the Undertale universe is a little bit more warm and welcoming, but in other ways, it's even more haunting than the darkest moments of its predecessor. With five chapters left coming who knows when, there is plenty of theorizing to be done. But what can we learn from the story being told here as Christians in a story where no one is totally good or evil and control is given and taken regularly? Who can we trust and who should we be wary of? Let's talk about it. Folks, welcome to Checkpoint Church, where nerds, geeks, and gamers come together to talk about faith, games, and shipping Noel with virtually every single character. I am your nerd pastor, Nate, and if you like these weekly deep dives, well, be sure to sub, hit that bell, and find out when our next one drops. Folks, as always, I'm going to be starting with our scripture for this week. We're going to be reading from Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 19, and I'm going to be reading from the NRSV. That's my preferred translation. It's what's going to be on the screen. If you have something else that you'd prefer, feel free to use that as well. What then? Should we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you, having once been slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were entrusted, and that you, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater iniquity, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness for sanctification. Okay, so I already talked a little bit about Deltarune in the intro, but what is actually happening in this story? Like, what's the narrative that we're working with here? Well, when we were given Chapter 1 back in 2018, the game started with a character creation model, let us name ourselves, but then we watched our hard work deteriorate as we are introduced to Chris, the protagonist that we get to control for most of the game. We don't get to create our own character because that's not how life works. That's like Tumblr deep stuff, Toby. Chris is awkward, quiet, and looks just like Chara or Kara or however you want to pronounce it. It's up to you. I don't know. It's a video game, people. Anyway, Chara, as we'll be pronouncing it for the rest of this video, the murderous character from the genocide route of Undertale. Chris is the child, uh, I don't know, maybe adopted. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess they're adopted, of Toriel, just like in Undertale. Chris's brother is Asriel, the antagonist from Undertale. But we don't actually get to see Asriel yet because he's gone off to college. I'm betting late story might get a look at him. We also then meet Susie, the dinosaur alligator girl who is misunderstood by her classmates and decides to present herself as a tough-as-nails delinquent. Susie and Chris are then teleported to an alternate world known as the Dark World. Once they are there, they meet the lovable Rousey, an anagram for Chris's brother Asriel, who also just so happens to look just like our displaced brother. Coincidence? Hmm? Rousey is the prince of the Dark World and informs them that he needs their help sealing the fountains that are popping up all over the place so that peace can return to the Dark World and, by default, also help the light world where Chris and Susie come from. Thus, the first chapter has the MC take control of the three-person team, battling their way through the dark world to save 
both worlds. The mystery is who is actually opening these fountains, and why do none of the overlapping casts from Undertale seem to recall any of the events from the original hit title? Undyne doesn't have her eye patch. Papyrus is nowhere to be seen. Just what is going on here? At the end of chapter one, the actual character model for Chris rips their heart out, which is us, by the way. The heart is a symbol for us controlling the decisions that are happening. So Chris rips out the heart, us, and then holds out a knife viciously and smiles at the camera as their eye twinkles red, just like Chara. So that's chapter one. That's how it ends. But what about chapter two? Spoilers from this point on. If you haven't played chapter two yet, it's free. What are you waiting on? Chapter two features another visit to the dark world due to the opening of yet another fountain. Chris and Susie team up with Rousey once again to save the day, but this time they're actually joined by two of their classmates, the adorable deer person, Noel, and the less than likable bird brain, Birdly. After all is said and done, which once again, the game is free, you should be playing it. There's seriously no excuse. We reach the end of the game where Toby chooses to give us a bit more thread of what is going on here. After saving the day once again, Susie walks home with Chris and Toriel insists that Susie stay over for a sleepover. Chris slinks off to the bathroom while Toriel and Susie share an adorable moment that I personally would love to have been a part of. Anyway, in the bathroom, Chris once again rips their heart out, us, reminder, out of their chest and leaves out of the window for a little while. Returning later, Chris puts the heart back in and then goes to join Toriel and Susie once again. The night passes by. Susie and Toriel both end up snoozing in the living room. Chris then rips their heart out once again in plain sight. By the way, I know they're asleep, but I mean, it was that was a little risky, if you ask me. And Chris takes out the knife again. When I say I was screaming at my computer screen, let me tell you, it was intense. I thought Mama Toriel was about to get stabbed. Chris doesn't, thank God, stab Goat Mom and Dino Friend, but instead stabs directly into the ground, opening up a wormhole from the Dark World that looks an awful lot like, you guessed it, the fountains that we've been sealing up all along. That's right, Chris is the one opening up the fountains that we, the player, are working so hard to seal back up to prevent this thing called the Roaring. Now, what is the Roaring? Well, that is Rossi's prophetic word of what will happen if the fountains should remain open. It's not good. I don't feel like I need to tell you what it is, but it's just, you don't want it to happen. So this brings up some interesting questions. Why does Chris want those fountains open so badly? Will this roaring actually happen if they do? Is any of this actually happening? Or is Chris just regressing to playing pretend out of shock of their brother leaving for college? Like I said earlier, we're only two chapters into a seven chapter series here. So the true ending of the story is anybody's guess, to be quite frank. I personally lean towards the prequel theory, but that is a conversation that we can have over on our Discord. If you're down to clown, I'm there all the time. I'd love to talk about Undertale. Anything. For this video and for this scripture, I am more interested in Toby Fox's obsession with control. Undertale presented this thesis in some awesome ways. In the genocide route of Undertale, we had our control taken away from us by Chara and questioned if we were ever in control of the game at all. Deltarune takes that model of storytelling and runs with it. The entire story so far isn't actually about Ralsei, Susie, Noel, the light world, the dark world. The whole shebang of this story is only revolving around two people. It's Chris and it's you or me or whoever's actually playing the game. Chris is reacting to our decisions. Chris makes decisions available for us. And as we can see in these ending scenes, Chris can take control and do what Chris chooses to do. If we were to put our motives into words, the game wants the player character to want 
the fountains closed. This is in direct conflict with Chris, who seems to want them very much open to the point that they are actively creating them. Much like our jaunt into 12 minutes from a few weeks back, the truth behind Deltarune is that there are ultimately three narratives that are getting to be told here. Option one, we can play the purest route possible, making the good choices, saving the day, giving that Rousey go to hug. In Undertale, this option leaves us with a sunset and heartwarming conversation. Deltarune leaves us with uncertainty and discomfort as Chris takes control no matter what we do. Option two, we play the evilest route possible. I won't spoil Snowgrave for anyone who wants to play the genocide route for Deltarune, but I can link to a video of it for any who might want to see the story. It, it's really freaking dark, okay? In Undertale, it's, a, it's, it's, it's dark, but it's not this dark. In Undertale, this culminates in Chara taking control of our save file and the game effectively ends. Option three, you don't play the game anymore. It's just a game, after all. The events never happen if they don't happen at all, right? These are fictional worlds. This was the ultimate argument of 12 minutes, you might recall. If you're anything like me, then option three doesn't exist. There's no world where I don't pursue an ending to a game like Undertale or Deltarune. I have to know where things are headed. I have to get to that conclusion. Believe it or not, this actually all relates perfectly to our scripture for today. Can you believe it? It's, it's, it's a stretch, but it's not. It's crazy. Romans is one of Paul's more stressful letters. He says a lot, and so much of it is laid with very intense and factual language that it almost comes across as being one of his most legalistic and abrasive pieces. Much of our more controversial theology comes from this letter and less from the actual words of Jesus. I'll just leave that there. Anyway, in this passage from Paul, he is very much using that same theme that Toby Fox is playing with, the obsession with control. As human beings, we love to be in charge and have control, and so we try to convince ourselves that this third option mentioned above exists in our own lives. We tell ourselves that we don't have to choose between right and wrong. We don't have to serve one or the other. We can do another thing entirely. We tell ourselves that the world isn't dualistic. While I tend to lean that way myself from time to time, Paul is advising against it here. Why? Well, Paul has just finished going into great detail on grace, which, as a Wesleyan, is my very favorite thing. But then he goes immediately into the first question that pops up. Well, if grace is there for us no matter what, then why shouldn't we just sin all the time, live the life we want, and then ask for forgiveness on the deathbed? Why not, right? That's where Paul begins to explain things dualistically. It's an unfortunate byproduct of our own human minds that he even needs to do this. He even says that in the text. He says, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. In other words, I'm talking this way for your sake, not for God's sake. God doesn't see you as good or evil. God sees you as you. Nothing dual about it. Since Paul believes he must use this language to help us understand, he says that we as humans are making a choice regardless of our intention. We serve whoever we choose to serve. We are either slaves to righteousness or slaves to sin. Whether you agree with this reality or not, it does set up perfectly for this world of video games. At the end of the day, Undertale and Deltarune feature a great deal of hidden decisions and Easter eggs, but the truth is, the player can only really choose to serve between two choices, pacifist or genocide. Given the limitations of the game as a medium, the choices lie on the spectrum of duality. It's just the way it works. But again, 
That's by a game's understanding. We as a third party in the metaverse are able to add that third option, that nuance. We can add twists and theories and interpretations or AUs for Pete's sake. So too does life feel like a spectrum when it is limited to our own human understanding. If we see sin as being some kind of life game mechanic, something we get to choose to equip or unequip at the end of the game when we reach the level cap, then we're only playing into that dualistic thinking. By choosing sin or choosing not to sin, we are playing into the system of human living that got us into this mess in the first place. I don't believe that what Paul is doing in this text is presenting us with the choice between serving sin or serving righteousness. He's literally telling us that if we choose to sin as something on the table or a relationship with Jesus as being some kind of object, then we're missing the point entirely and we're setting ourselves up for this dualistic mindset of slavery. Now, this is perhaps a bit heretical, but I don't think Paul wants us to be slaves to righteousness. Not really, anyway. I think he wants us to be free in Christ from all of these things. Being a slave to sin is still being a slave, and being a slave to righteousness, well, that's still being a slave. As long as we keep seeing Christ as this get-out-of-hell-free card and not a relationship to be had, well, then we're seeing life as this dualistic thinking that keeps getting us caught up in this same cycle of serving some form of slavery. Sure, some are better than others. I think we can agree that the pacifist route is objectively more good than the genocide route. But the truth of Jesus is that Jesus sets us free from the route entirely. What can we actually learn from this as human beings, not game characters? Well, it's that we aren't designed to be on a spectrum. Dualistic thinking isn't the end for us. We aren't made to be slaves to sin or to righteousness. We're made to be in the holy family of Jesus Christ. We're made for something more than just some video game-based moralism by a prolific game dev like Toby Fox. Games like Deltarune allow us the opportunity to explore and play within these worlds, to venture into the harsh reality of dualism, and then to allow that to encourage us in real life to break free of those shackles. The truth of Toby's obsession with control is that it's kind of spot on. Deltarune is only making it that much better. We really don't have any say when we choose a dualistic life. Deltarune is predestined, like it or not. That's how the medium works. When we treat Jesus like some heavenly game dev, well, we're limiting ourselves to that same life of slavery. And we are so much more than that. Let us choose something more for ourselves than just some kind of zero-sum game. In the meantime, we can keep playing with games, letting them speak into our lives and make us live that life so much better by the mistakes and lessons we learn in those stories help us experience more and understand more of our human lives. While we're waiting another three years, please let that be a joke, for Toby to release chapters three, four, and five together, know that whether you're afraid of that genocide route like me, or maybe you face the darkness head on, or maybe you're a Noel, a Susie, or a Rousey, know that no matter who you are or where you come from, you are always welcome here at Checkpoint Church. But if you're birdly, maybe just give us a heads up that you're coming. Thanks for listening to our weekly nerdy deep dive into the world of nerds, geeks, and gamers. We hope you enjoyed the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to experience this video in its intended full viewing, 
feel free to find us over on YouTube at Checkpoint Church and watch it there. If you're interested in supporting what we're doing, feel free to go to www.checkpointchurch.com support for information on how to donate or support us financially or otherwise. Or you can go through the Anchor app and support us there as well. This program is created, produced, and edited by Nathan Webb and distributed by Anchor. Find us on twitch.tv slash checkpointchurch where we'll be streaming on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. Thanks again for listening to our show and remember, God loves you, we love you, you matter. Be boldly blessed and we will catch you next time.